Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Future Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Donlan, and I'm here today with a very special guest, Darren Jackson. Darren, how are you? Hey, Sean. I'm grateful to be here. Thanks. Yeah. Great to have you on. Um, strange times. You know, we are. We're, we're in a lot of uncertainty right now across the planet with this uh, you know, virus that's gone uh, globally right now. And a lot of people across the planet uh, you know, are self-isolating and there's changes of times. And so it's a great opportunity to look at the mindset. Is it a crisis or is it an opportunity? Uh, most of the people are in fear right now and looking at it as a crisis. They're overwhelmed by the news media and fear and doubt and worry and uncertainty. People like myself right now, I'm very excited. I know there's smart people out there that will solve this problem with the, uh, the virus. But as an investor, I'm looking at what opportunities are going to come about this because as people go into a crisis, things go through a life cycle. And some businesses, unfortunately, in this downturn right now, economically, globally, are going to kind of come to the end of their shelf life or the end of their life expectancy. We all die in life, just like in businesses. It all has a shelf life. And so some of these businesses are going to die. And from that, new businesses, new entrepreneurship, new opportunities will unfold from there going forward. So uh, I, I'm excited about what's going to happen with the opportunities going forward. So full disclosure with the audience, um, the first time myself and yourself sat down for lunch, we had a conversation. We were just like, you know, shooting the breeze, basically going back and over about business and everything. You almost predicted something like this happening, like just n not exactly, but basically you said like, how prepared are you for life? You know, and I'm like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm prepared with this and I've got savings and everything. And he said, no, no, how, like how prepared are you for, you know, something happening, you know, uh, an earthquake or, you know, we had, we had that conversation and, and uh, maybe three weeks later, you know, the whole country was shut down. You know, you, you were ahead of the curve. Yeah. You know, I'm grateful to stand on the shoulders of different giants, different mentors throughout my life. And I read a lot of, uh, you know, biographies and autobiographies of different successful uh, individuals as well as families, generational families, generational wealth of families. And some of these families go back 15 generations, long period of time. One of the families I study and know quite well, you know, their family trusts go back to 1485. Just think about that minute, 1485. Oh, yeah. And so success leaves clues. And so one of the things that I've always shared with people in regards to contingency planning. So if we look at statistics, right, numbers don't lie, but people do. In North America, Canada, the United States of America, approximately 78% of the United States and Canadian population live paycheck to paycheck. 78%. Right? So you have know, about 350 plus million people live in the United States of America, about 36 million people live in Canada. So you're roughly between 350, 400 million people. And out of that, 78% live paycheck to paycheck. And of that population, the average person only has access to $400 liquid cash. The rest has to go to a pawn shop, a payday loan place, put it on eBay or Craigslist or sell it online or have a yard sale, garage sale. So the thing is, is what I always share with people is when they're getting into a new opportunity or they want to invest in something, how much liquid cash do you have in an emergency plan? And one of the things I've learned from very successful, influential people is two years. You do a little research on Microsoft Corporation or Apple Computers, they have two years bank of liquid cash that's reserved, reserved cash for all their employees' payrolls. A lot of top successful families and family offices, they have two years liquid cash so because there's peaks and valleys all the time and we don't know how long it's going to take to do a market correction. So, you know, people do a rainy day fund for 30 days or 60 or 90 days, which is great. But I would recommend people over the next three to five years as a family game plan for your life is to set yourself up for liquid of two years cash. You put it aside. It's emergency fund money. You don't touch it. It's for worst case scenario situations as a contingency plan. And then also, uh, 
you know, in life right now, it's very unpredictable in our lives is a lot of times if people are entrepreneurs or small business owners or people that are, are employees and they're involved with different things, you know, different security passwords, different people from joint ventures, strategic alliances, different partnerships, different relationships that you're dealing with with all different kinds of human beings, especially now with technology, we're in a global world today, a global village. So what I always recommend people do is to have a three ring binder, put in your family safe or safety deposit box at your home or in a bank someplace that's safe. And what you do is you, you, you either do it yourself or hire someone or get someone to volunteer with you or outsource it, take all your passwords, all the people's contacts and put it into an organized binder that's a three ring binder and then have somebody take that and digitize it so it's in a computer and then put it into a Dropbox or some kind of safe that's, you know, someplace that's safe on your computer or on the internet in case you get hacked, you've got a backup plan. But the thing is, is that if unexpectedly something ever happens to you in the event of a serious illness or a mental illness or a death, your executive director of your will or family estate or a family or friend or relative or sibling can go to your family safe or safety deposit box, open up that three ring binder or go online to a username and a password and log into a safe site and collect all that information. Now it's all organized. I see so many people when there's unexpected death or an illness in a family and the impact on the family for the next two, three, four, even five years I've seen where it's just complete disorganization and just chaos and stressful times and situations. And that's not a, a place you want to leave your legacy, your family, your family, your siblings, but also too, it's, it's getting your money right. It's getting things prioritized in your life. As, as a civil duty, as a human being on this planet, we have responsibilities. And the challenge is people always say, well, it's never going to happen to me, right? Like, you know, I first met, I, I talked about, you know, contingency planning, having cash reserves, you know, having different things set up in place just in case, right? It's part of your end-of-life planning. It's part of just-in-case planning in regards to a natural disaster. We also, Tetra and I also have, you know, three months food supply. We use a thing called MREs, which are meals ready to eat. They're military-grade food. It's rationed food. The, the drawbacks to it is it constipates you, right? So if you have to take them, it constipates you. But it's designed that way, the food, because when soldiers are over in combat or in battle around the planet and they're out there, they, they get detected by the enemy if they're moving around lots out in the battlefield. So they constipate the soldiers so they don't move around a lot. Oh, wow. And that's the purpose of that. And so it's always important just in case to have a food supply of at least three months food supply. That's good for five or 10 or 15 years. There's lots of different websites or, you know, different uh, retail bricks and mortar stores that you can go to, you know, uh, hiking supply stores, hunting supply stores will have all that online or in their stores. And you just start to set this stuff up in your life. And one of the things that I find in my own experience is mindset. It, it, it gets rid of the mental clutter in your mind and it doesn't distract you to take you off your mission for what your purpose is in life. Right. Yeah. So when we have contingency plans. We have food plans, natural disaster plan with emergency supplies and first aid, things like that. And like a first responder would, then you're not distracted and you're not at, you know, at the, you know, I like to be at the cause of my life, not at the effect of my life. I like to be proactive versus reactive. Just something I choose to do in my life by design and by choice. So I just recommend people do that and, and sit down in every quarter, four times a calendar year, every 90 days, Q1, 2, 3, and 4 of a calendar. We sit down and we review our, our, you know, our plans, you know, our, our financial plans. We review our emergency fund plans, our natural disaster plans, our family plans. We review that every 90 days. We have a family meeting for a few hours. We schedule it in our calendar with a set meeting agenda, meeting attendees, and we do it in person or virtual. And we go through that every quarter. And it's amazing how much, you know, just clarity and collaboration and just, you, just, you can relax. It just takes the stress off the shoulders because you've got a plan 
and you're organized and you know that if something happens, you've got contingency plans in place. Yeah, incredible. And something else, um, I picked up the phone a couple of weeks ago and I was like, what's going to happen next, Darren? What's going to happen next? And you said, uh, get technology. You said, get a, if, you, if you need to get a new laptop, if you need to get a new cell phone, something like that, you said, we're in the first time in modern history where our, our full supply chain has been cut, essentially. And sure. it might take a week or two for us to notice that it's been cut, but, but it's been cut. You've got factories in Korea and factories in China and India that are producing the technology and some of the equipment that we use on a, you know, like you said, on a quarterly basis that they're filling shipments for quarterly orders or, you know, monthly orders in some cases. And I experienced that. I found it incredibly difficult. I, I went on the hunt the day after that. You did. <laughs> I went on the hunt. I got a, I got a new laptop and um, couldn't get a webcam sold out worldwide. Um, but yeah, got a new laptop still waiting for it to be delivered. Uh, but I, I did, I went out and I got it and spoke to a couple of people in similar situations and they said, yeah, um, we're seeing an incredible drop off in, in uh, technology um but but you once again you were you were spot on the other thing we're going to see too is teddy bears so in time of disaster natural disasters fires theft floods earthquakes natural disasters one of the big things is teddy bears whether you're a young child or you're a senior citizen people feel the comfort in a teddy bear wow and you go into a seniors complex you go into a children's hospital ward and you'll see teddy bears everywhere and it's a collectible item. And so we're gonna see this year in 2020 for Christmas, we're probably gonna see a, a global shortage of teddy bears. Okay. So people invest, who wanna make some money and- Invest in uh, some teddy bear companies. You know, if you, wanna, <laughs> if you wanna get a good return on your investment and multiply some money, whether you're a kid or you got some kid, you know, you're a kid right now watching or your kids are watching, get some family allowance money and take it and start buying some teddy bears and start stocking it away and hold on to that inventory for you know, the next several months and you'd be amazed what will happen in 2020 of, uh, it's just my prediction. Anyway, it's just, I'm, yeah. I just look at, I I'm just look at, I'm listening to I just you, watch and observe and, teddy bear stock. <laughs> and just, yeah. And just look at where's the blind spots. I watch and observe, you know, watch what the mass of the population do and where they go and just watch the different cycles of business. Right. And then you start to see trends and patterns and, and also collective, you know, intelligence of collaborating with like-minded people. That's a key thing with people like, uh, you know, our technology today with our cell phones is so important. And I always share with people when I you know, go speak in colleges, universities to give back and make a difference. I always ask the students, you know, whether it's in high school or college university, focus on building a network of people. Because the thing is that your network of people will take you anywhere on the planet, right? It's not what you know, it's who you know. It's who they know that knows you. But here's something to consider. All we are is a network of conversations. We really look at our life. We inspect our life, do an inquiry into our life. All we are is a network of conversations. You see, we're taught as children, don't talk to strangers. Yeah, that's bad advice. Why? Because children, when we learn that as young kids, we grow up, guess what? Strangers have everything we want, everything we need, and everything we desire in our lives. Everything in our life is going to come from strangers we've not met yet. Whether it's on the internet, through some social media platform, we're walking down the street, we're in an airport or an airplane or airport lounge, we get introduced to somebody through some app or some website, it's all going to come through strangers. And so one two things that I always share with people in their lives, if people want to take away some action steps from this call today or this discussion today, is just think about this. For every question that we don't ask, the answer is no. For every question we don't ask, the answer is no. And when we make a request, people will do one of three things. Number one is they'll accept the request. Step number two is they'll decline the request. Or step number three is they'll counteroffer the request. They'll accept, decline, or counteroffer. So two questions I always ask people to write down. Right? When I sit on an advisory board or board of directors or I mentor and coach people, I always ask these two questions. Question number one is, 
Where am I not requesting in my life? Just think about that for a moment. Where am I not requesting in my life? And if we write it down on paper, we just go to work on that question, spend a couple minutes or a couple hours, just think about where am I not requesting in my life? Just, just take a look at your life, personally and profession. Ask yourself, where am I not requesting? Where am I doing things that frustrate me, make me feel impatient, drain my energy, right? Waste my time, or not the best and highest use of my time. They devalue my time. So where am I not requesting in my life is question number one. And then question number two is, who do I become when I don't request? We play small, we contract. We come from lack and scarcity versus abundance and prosperity. We get impatient, we get frustrated, we get drained of energy. We diminish the quality of our life. And I can go on and on and on as I unpack and unfold that. But the two questions are, number one is, right? When you think about it is, where am I not requesting in my life? And you just go to work on that question. Where am I not requesting? What's the blind spot here? What am I not seeing? And then who do I become when I don't request? And you write that down and go to work in your journal or on a piece of paper and you start to write that down. You'll be amazed in a couple hours what you discover about yourself and think, wow. Then if you action that and go to work on that and schedule it in your calendar and make it a priority to go work on that, you will notice that your financial bank account will change. It will actually change in the next couple of weeks. Your bank account will be different if you action that. You'll notice the way you interact and connect with people because all we are is a network of conversations. And when we start making requests of other people, our life will change. And that's the key thing is people always ask, they go, Terry, my gosh, you get so much done in a day, right? You, you serve on these different boards of directors, these different advisory boards of public and private companies. You travel the world, you speak at conferences, you have your own private family foundation, you're an investor, you invest in these different things all the time. How do you have enough hours and time in a day? Why? Because number one, I schedule everything into my calendar, right? Because if you schedule it, it's going to get done because you're making personal promises to yourself. I always ask people, people come to me and they go, you know, I want to release 20 pounds in the next 45 days. Okay, great. So three steps to it. Number one is step number one is, is the goal or target, is it specific? Is it measurable? Is it actionable? That's why New Year's goals, New Year's resolutions don't work for most people. Why? The goal or target isn't specific. It's not measurable. It's not actionable. Step number two is, is there a specific strategy linked to that goal or target? So if, if I say to you, you know, Sean, I'm going to work out, um, you know, I'm going to work out and release 20 pounds. Okay, great. Show me your calendar over the next seven days and show me the time slots in your calendar that you've blocked time to go do cardio or lift weights or go to yoga or Pilates or martial arts or go for a walk or go for a bike or go for a run or go for a jog. Do I actually see it live in your calendar? And if you don't, right, behavior never lies. So do I see a strategy? Number three is, then what's the accountability? So if I say to you, Sean, you know, I'm going to release 20 pounds between now and June 15th, 2020. I'm just making up the date, right? Between now and June, June 15th, 2020, I'm going to release 20 pounds. And my goal is June 15th, 2020 by 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time Zone. Okay? Specific, measurable, actionable. My strategies, I'm going to work out four days a week. Here it's in my calendar between now and June 15th. And, and every, every time I work out each four days a week, I'm going to send you a text message to let you know it's complete. At the end of each week on the Saturday, at the end of each week or Friday of each week, I'm going to send you a text message to confirm that I'm four out of four in my batting average of going to the gym four days a week, or I'm three out of four that week. Now, the chance of me fulfilling on my promise drastically increase. So I'm always listening when I'm investing in companies, I'm serving on boards of directors or advisory boards, I'm mentoring and coaching or advising people, I'm listening what they're sharing with me in terms of speaking to me, and I can pretty well predict, and that's why I'm really good at predicting things, because I listen to what people say, and what, because their words become their world. You don't realize that your words become your world. And when I listen to what people say, they're giving me data points and information, I think, okay, talk is cheap, 
Watch, don't watch the lips, watch the feet. This person's not gonna follow through. Why? Because it's not in their calendar. They have no accountability. It's not specific. It's not measurable. It's not actionable. They're just talk. It's all just talk. And in 60 days, 90 days from now, I'll follow up with them and they're in the same spot they are right now and they're gonna blame it on somebody else. And that's just, you know, behavior never lies. Yeah. You, what do they say? You judge yourself. You judge yourself by your intentions. Other people judge you by your actions. For sure, yeah. Well, talking is cheap in the business world and it's reasons or results. Yeah. Right. And the thing is, you know, people go to college, university and get an MBA or a PhD. And I have people like that that work with me. And I'm like, great. That's good that you know that. But what do you do with what you know? Right. Yes. Because when you go to a company, say, I've got a PhD or MBA, they're like, okay, great. I hire you. I've got to pay you this amount of money and a salary, maybe a bonus. But what's my return on investment? Right. Of my human capital. And so the thing is, you got to look at is that, um, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know, it's who they know knows you. But the key thing is, like what I always tell people, like people like me, oh my gosh, there's no jobs. And people are freaked out right now with this coronavirus. Oh my gosh, all these people are being laid off. Yeah, but how many jobs are being created? How many businesses are being started? How much money is being penetrated into the economy right now on a global scale, right? People don't, you see, the media doesn't report that because they focus on sensationalism and negativity because they got to get you hooked to watch because they got to sell advertising. We used to sell newspapers. Now they sell pay-per-clicks. Yeah. That's exactly it. They have to, uh, they need, I'm, I'm not clicking on, a, on an article that says, well, depends. Some people are not going to click on an article that says, yeah, you know, it uh, looks like the government are putting another billion dollars into the economy for, you know, stimulus, but they'll click on coronavirus lockdown. Yeah. They will frighten people into, into the articles. Yeah. So and, kind, and the thing, kind of, sorry. Well, the thing is to consider is that fear does not live in action. See, mo yeah. see, when we look at fear, right? I always ask people, what is fear? People say, well, I got a lot of fear in my life. Okay, great. Let's define what is fear. They're like, well, what is fear? I said, well, what is fear? People are like, well, I don't know. And sometimes people say, well, fear is false evidence appearing real. I said, that's an acronym, right? What fear is, fear is an anticipation of pain or anticipated pain. So if fear is an anticipation of pain, where does it live? Is it past? Is it present? Or is it future? Well, it lives in the future. So our thoughts create our feelings. Our feelings create our actions and our actions create our results in life. So our thoughts and our feelings are internal in our lives and our actions and our results are external, right? So I always go back to people's mindset. What are you thinking, right? Like, so in my life, like, you know, like I, I have, I'll show you some things here. Like I have every day, I have 120 daily affirmations. I carry these around with me everywhere I go. I have 120 affirmations. I read these multiple times a day. I also have a vision letter. It's actually, yeah, it's right here. I also have a vision letter. So you ask me what my personal promises are. I have my vision letter right here. I also have my habits and my core values. And I'm present to these every single day. I read these every day of my life, multiple times a day. I have these in the shower. I have them in my locker room at my gym. I carry them in my personal carry-on luggage when I'm traveling. I look at these multiple times a day. These are my top 10 personal promises to myself. I actually write out my, my promises, my goals to myself 730 times a calendar year, every morning, every night. It's a daily discipline. It's non-negotiable. Okay. Oh, I'm, wow. I'm rigorous. I'm, I'm, I'm intentional with it. I'm obsessed with it. I stalk my dreams. I go out dream building. The house I'm living in right now here in a beautiful place where I live right now, I, I drove around for two years in this neighborhood stalking my dreams, rain or shine or whatever the weather was. I drove around at 11 o'clock at night, two o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the afternoon. I was driving around this neighborhood dream building. Okay. So I always encourage people go to YouTube and you want to go on a vacation. You want to drive a luxury car, you know, luxury cars, go dream build, 
right? Yes. You, you want to fly in a private jet. You want to go to a luxury resort or a private island, or you want jewelry or watches or shoes or clothes, or you want to go eat in a nice restaurant or go to a nice hotel or a nice bed and breakfast or a nice Air, Airbnb, then start to dream build, start to imagine it and image it in your mindset and, and, and imagine it. Right. You see when people come into your dealership and you're working with luxury cars, how people when they take that for a test drive and they, they just feel the acceleration of the, it's like, whoa, it's a, it's, it's a dopamine fix. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So create a, that dopamine fix for yeah. your dreams. Right? I, I, I have a, I have a Tumi handbag and uh, you know, I've always had the money to buy over the last few years, but for two years I didn't buy my handbag, my, my, my carry on bag. I have a Tumi carry on luggage bag. Right. I carry with me. For two years, I used to go into the store, the retail bricks and mortar store, the Toomey store. And whenever I was traveling international airports, I'd go into the Toomey store and I'd just spend time with my bag. And I know it sounds crazy and weird to some people, but I, I could have just put up my credit card or my debit card and paid for it. But you see, I wasn't achieving my target of my, some of my goals that I set to, and my reward was linked to my goals, my targets. And I wasn't hitting those targets, so I never earned the reward. Yes. And when I achieved the, the reward, when I hit my target, I then went into the Toomey store and I said, okay, today's the day. You've seen me enough over the last two years. I'm here to make the purchase. And the lady starts laughing at me. She goes, she'd see me come in there every couple months. And I'd, I'd hang out with my bag and, you know, just, I'm going to get this bag. And she's like, okay, okay. You know, when are you going to take action? I'm like, I can't take action now because I haven't earned it. Yeah. So I, I play these games with myself, right? So, so even in life, you might, you know, I'd say, man, you know, I, someday I want to work at that place. When I was starting off my corporate training career back in the early 1990s, I would travel around major cities and say, someday I'm going to train that name. Or I'd be watching a sporting event and I'd see the logo on, you know, the advertising of that, that company. Like someday I'm going to get into that corporation and I'm going to train the executives or the CEO or the owners of that company or the managers of that company. I don't know how, but I'm going to make it happen. I'm just going to keep going and going and going and going. And over time it worked. And I ended up training 157 Fortune 500 companies over a 25 year period. And can you, just, tell, can you tell people a little bit about uh, your uh, professional background, a little bit about that, um, that corporate training and where you, got sure. your, where you got your roots, you know? Well, I'll give you a little bit of, so my, my background is really quite interesting. I have an interesting background. I'll, I'll just share with everybody unfold it. So I, uh, I, I failed grade one of public school and I was misdiagnosed with a learning disability and a reading disability. So I want people to understand, give them some context. I didn't come from a privileged family. I didn't come from an upper class or an affluent family. Uh, I wasn't a straight academic student kid in school. I didn't go to any university or college. I failed grade one of public school. And I was misdiagnosed with a learning disability. How, how old are you in grade one? I, I, I'm from, I would have been uh, five years of age. Okay. No, no, probably six. So grade one, been uh, five, six, seven years. I, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Five, six, seven years of age. I don't remember. Um, and <laughs> so I failed grade one, misdiagnosed with a learning disability and a reading disability. So then I was put into what we call special education. So from grade one to grade 12 of public school, I was in a small uh, modified program. So I didn't go to school with the regular kids. I took the short bus to school. And I was in a special education class my entire school life. So when I was uh, seven, eight years of age, I was very bored in school. I was a dreamer in school. I was a, the dumbest kid in school. I was a D student. So what I did was I started my own little business at age seven called Rent a Kid. And I would go out and cut grass. And what I would do is I'd go out and borrow lawnmowers, make some money. Because I'd walk, I'd run around my neighbor and said, who's got my money? And I'd just go knock on doors because strangers have everything I want in my life. Rather than bother my parents, I grew up in a middle-income family, I'd go talk to strangers because strangers have my money. And so I'd go talk to different strangers, knock on their doors, do, do different chores, collect money, take that money, then go find a yard sale or garage sale, buy a used lawnmower, and then start with mowing lawns and cutting grass and cleaning 
garages and raking leaves and painting fences and hauling junk. And then I would deliver newspaper six days a week. And then I shoveled snow in the wintertime here in Canada. And by the time I was nine, 10 years of age, I hired my best friends in my neighborhood to work with me. Their parents were excited because they were working with me. They were making money. They're not in trouble. They're getting some exercise. They're out playing. And it was great. And then all through my school life, I was always doing different odd jobs. And then when I became a teenager, I started delivering Chinese food, working at a different hotel, catering to different people. And then I started getting bigger contracts, cutting grass. So I'd go to the dentists, the lawyers, the doctors, the engineers, the more upper class uh, neighborhoods with bigger yards and bigger lawns. And sometimes I found these people just didn't own one house. They'd own two or three homes or an apartment building or they had a business. And I could, I could get the contract for that too. And so I, would, I was very entrepreneurial as a young kid because I sucked in school. And I was always the kid who was always last picked on any sports team. You know, I was the kid you never bet on in school because I was always the last person to ever be, get picked for anything. So then school um, didn't serve me and didn't fulfill me. So then business became my sport. And so when I finally graduated from public high school in grade 12, I barely passed public high school. I graduated. I had no direction. I had no focus, no purpose. So I did multiple suicide attempts to end my life. And on my final attempt, by driving my car at 140 kilometers an hour, 85 miles per hour towards a telephone pole, I stopped the car. I just said, I can't do this, right? And so I turned myself in. I drove myself to a um, nonprofit organization that does um, crisis line stuff for people that are attempting suicide. And I turned myself in. I got some counseling. I got some psychological help. And then that lady that was my psychologist introduced me to an organization back in the early 1990s called Dale Carnegie and Toastmasters International. And so I took those training programs. I didn't have the money to start, so I financed it. And that's how I got started. And I was so terrified of public speaking, I overcome it by, by learning Dale Carnegie and Toastmasters training. And then I was terrified of rejection. It was really funny because I'd go knock on doors as a kid, but then as I got a little older and mature, I started to develop more and more self-talk and mind chatter because I have very little self-esteem. And the reason why I had low self-esteem, I had a major breakthrough in that area. And some folks listening or watching right now have a major breakthrough when I share this with you. If you want to build your self-worth or your self-confidence, start to notice the personal promises you make to yourself. See, I didn't follow through on my promises to myself. And so what happens is each time I didn't follow through on a personal promise to myself, I diminished my self-worth and self-confidence. And I got further and further and further away from believing in myself. And once I started to notice throughout the waking hours of my day, when I would say I was going to do something, I'd follow through and complete it and get it done. And each time I did that, each time I did that, each time I did that, I would notice that my self-worth and self-confidence would, would increase over a period of time. That's why people say to me today, they say, oh my gosh, you're so confident. Why are you so confident? Why? Because I've worked on keeping my personal promises. Because without integrity, nothing works. There's no workability. And so what happened was I uh, went and got a job as a telemarketer for McLean's Magazine here in Canada. And we had to make 400 cold calls a shift as a telemarketer between 5 and 9 p.m. Monday to Friday, selling magazine subscriptions. And within seven months, I became number one in Canada as, as a telemarketer. And my boss came to me, Greg, one day, or Glenn came to me one day, and he said, Darren, you've peaked out. You can't go any further in this company. You should leave and go off on your own. Go spread your own wings. So I was terrified. I didn't have any money. I was living paycheck to paycheck. So I left. I went to a telephone company, a bricks and mortar telephone company back then. We use the yellow pages and the white pages of phone books. And I grabbed all these phone books. I went back home. I cut out all these vision boards, all these different companies off the cereal boxes, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Kellogg's, Corn Flakes, Chevrolet, BMW, Ford, Chrysler, cut off all their logos, put them up on my wall as vision boards. And then for each logo, 
I would write down, start at number 200, uh, reasons why I'm smart enough, good enough, worthy enough to actually go in and train that company so I can build up my confidence and my belief. So when I phone this company, high chance I'm going to get rejected over the telephone, that I could, I could show my value and my worth that I come in because I had no formal education. I didn't barely pass public high school. I had no college university, no MBA, no PhD, but I had to have my belief because when my certainty was greater than his or her certainty on the phone, then I could win the conversation and get the deal, right? So I had to be so confident. So I would talk to Amir. I used to play ACDC Thunderstruck, that song, Thunder. Nah, 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 nah. That was my theme song to psych me up and get me pumped up, you know, when I get out of the shower to go make phone calls to get rejected. And every day I'd go in to get rejected, mass amounts of rejection. And so between 1995 and the year 2000, when I set up my own corporate training business, building the airplane as I'm flying, had no direction, no focus, but just a hunger and a passion to succeed because I had to pay my rent and pay my bills, not always on time. Sometimes I was three, four months behind on my bills because my long distance phone calls were so expensive back in the 1990s. But between 1995 and the year 2000, I made over 100,000 cold calls wow. by myself, by myself. And what happened from that between 1995 and the year 2015, I ended up training over 1 million people in 50 countries on four continents, including 157 of the Fortune 500 companies. Then in the year 2011, I was on an airplane one day and I thought I would love to get onto paid boards of directors and paid advisory boards of public and private companies. I just wrote out my journal. It was just a wish I had. I had no idea how it was going to happen. Um, so I just wrote it out and I just started writing out that it was on the airplane. And so I went to a number of different people who served on different volunteer nonprofits and different church groups and charitable groups and sports teams and different companies. I said, listen, I want to get onto paid advisory boards and paid boards of directors. And all these people laughed and said, Darren, Darren, hold on a second here. Let's, let's stop the dream here. You're not going to get onto paid advisory boards or paid boards of directors of companies because you don't have a PhD. You don't have an MBA from Harvard or Stanford or Yale University. You barely passed public high school. I'm just going to put the brakes on you, Darren. Let's just stop dreaming. It's a great dream, but don't get too excited about it. I'm like, okay, great. I, I appreciate your opinion. Thanks for sharing. And I was polite and humble about it, but I went off. And um, in 2013, I got introduced uh, to a startup company uh, through a mutual uh, family friend of mine, um, a high net worth family. And they said, would you fly back to Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada, and take a look at the startup company we're looking at investing into. It's a residential real estate company. And so I flew back on behalf of the family because they wanted to invest some money and they wanted me to be part of their due diligence team because of my experience in corporate training and traveling all the world and training all these corporations, all these people, all these organizations, traveling almost 300 days a calendar year for several years. And so I flew back on behalf of the family's request, met with this gentleman, and I was grateful in my life throughout my last 25 years of my life to be mentored by some incredible human beings and meet some incredible people like the co you know, CEOs of major corporations, billionaires, people on the Forbes 400 list, you know, all kinds of people, people of influence and centers of influence and celebrities and you know, the movers and shakers on the planet of men and women in many different countries and cities. And I met this gentleman and uh, went back and forth over seven months as part of a due diligence process. And the family came back and said, what do you think? Should we invest in this company? I said, well, I don't quite understand the business model because it's a virtualized company back in 2013, but I believe in the entrepreneur as a jockey. And he, he's the jockey. We can always change out the horse, but we can't change the jockey. So I said, I believe in, I believe in, the, in, the, in the entrepreneur. And so it was great. The family decided to do an investment, capital injection of an investment, seed, seed money. The family came back to me and said, hey, Darren, would you consider going on the board of directors of this company? It was a startup company. 
Building wow. airplanes were flying it. So they said, we can't pay, but we'll give the equity in the company. So just a little small little company, just a couple hundred people in the entire company, little residential real estate company in Washington state in the USA. So I uh, came back and uh, he said, would, the founders, would you consider being on the board of directors? I said, well, let me talk to some people because I'm doing corporate training. I don't want it to be a conflict of interest. So I went to 73 people, Sean, 73 people. I documented wow. my journal, 73 people. I went across North America. I phoned them. I talked to them over a period of time. These are brokers. These are managing brokers. These are people who run franchises, large residential and commercial real estate companies and businesses and doing very, very well across North America. And all 73 people told me not to get involved with this startup company. It's going to go nowhere. You're, you're competing against companies that have been around for decades, well-national brand companies with very deep financial pockets. You're not going to stand a chance to compete against these companies because we wanted to change and disrupt the residential real estate industry. So let me fast track. That was back in 2013, 2014. I joined the board of directors. I think it was 20, 2014, 2015. Uh, we, we went to the OTC, over-the-counter stock, went there. Um, and in 2018, we did an uplist to NASDAQ. And on our first day of trading, did over a billion dollar US market cap. Wow. And today, as we're doing this interview right now, we have 29,000 people across Canada, the United States of America, Australia, and the United Kingdom in this company. 29,000 people. We're totally a virtual-based company with no bricks and mortar, no debt on the balance sheet. And last year did $980 million in revenue. We're almost a billion-dollar company. And um, when I started, we were doing everything on QuickBooks and you know, couldn't pay the bills on time in the business. And we were doing potluck events because we had no money as a startup company. And now, you know, less than 10 years later, look where we are. And we've created one of the fastest-growing residential real estate companies on the continent and now expanding internationally. And um, we have no bricks and mortar. And uh, it, it's just an amazing experience. So from there is, is evolved now into other private boards of directors and advisory board companies. And from there, I've created our own private family foundation called Link Foundation for Global Philanthropy Projects. And currently right now, we're building a new high school over in Uganda, East Africa. We've already acquired and purchased five acres of land through Link Foundation. And our goal over the next decade is to give $100 million through Link Foundation for Global Philanthropy Projects, 10 causes, 10 mentors, and $10 million a project. And we're doing $100 million for global philanthropy. So, so I build in financial wealth yes. now, but I'm not motivated by money. I'm motivated by acts of service and making a contribution on the planet is my planetary assignment. So I've dedicated my life to a cause greater than myself, which is global philanthropy. That's what lights me up. That's what moves me. That's my dopamine. That's my drug is, is philanthropy and making a difference. Um, and so in Link Foundation, it unfolds everything on our, our foundation, our website of what we're doing. And and I'm just so grateful to be in service. So I love being on boards of directors and advisory boards now because of my corporate training background and mentoring coach because, you know, I'm the one that's had all kinds of rejection and failures and adversities and challenges. And, you know, there was times I was homeless living in my car for a couple months, you know, and, and, and I collected welfare for a couple months. And so I've had some adversities and challenges and failures. It's not always been, uh, you know, it's been peaks and valleys throughout my life, but I'm a master at overcoming adversities and challenges. So when we're in a crisis right now, I'm the guy you want on your team because I don't give up. I'm stubborn in that area, but I'm able to strategically think through short-term and long-term because I've been through a lot of peaks and valleys in my life. So when we started this interview earlier about talking about you know contingency plans and having cash reserves and food reserves, I learned because I learned I didn't have any money. I was broke financially. I was behind on my problems, behind on my bills. I owed money. And so when I, got, when I started to focus on getting my money right, and getting my life back into integrity because I was so out of integrity in my life in my 20s and my 30s. I started to work on getting my life back into integrity because what I really learned from my own experience is 
when somebody, when you see, when you, when you look at people in your life and, and you see these people, man, everything they touch turns to crap and there's no workability and things are always falling apart and things are not getting to the finish line, not completing. One of the, one of the key indicators, because I know from experience of experience in history is they lack integrity in their life and integrity shows up all over their life personally and professionally. And I learned from experience when I started committing to promises with my words and my actions and falling through my integrity, all of a sudden my life started to change. My bank account changed, opportunities started to open up, doors started to open up, new people come into my life, different decision makers, centers of influence. I got invited to different parties, different events, different opportunities. Things just started to unfold and just unbelievable how much my life transformed by getting my life into integrity because without integrity, nothing works. And, and that's a huge thing is, you know, when people are on teams, you've got to do your due diligence and do your investigation, do what you got to make sure that people are moving their feet and not their lips because talk is cheap. And you'd be amazed. Um, you know, I always say in, in our teams and our companies that we build, our group of companies that we're very mindful on people we invite into our team to work with us in our inner circle. Cause we like, we invite everybody to like a swimming pool party as a metaphor. The challenge is if one peer person pees in that swimming pool, everybody's going to go to the swimming pool and you ruin the experience for everybody. Yeah. So we're always looking for who's that one person that's going to, you know, put our, put our companies and our teams out of integrity because that's the person peeing in the swimming pool. So, you know, just be mindful when you're building teams and joint venture partners and bringing on investors, and alliances or building on advisor board, board of directors, make sure you do your homework and make sure you do your due diligence and ask a lot of questions. And make sure you get the right people on your team or right people on your bus for your opportunity going forward because it can cost it and get very expensive. I've, I've seen some very high, very big checks, very high, you know, big number of checks written yeah. over the years of people who've made mistakes by hiring executives and CEOs and the wrong people. And they got to give them some going away money that costs a lot of money. And then they got to make these phone calls to investors because they burn through that investor's capital. And uh, those are not pleasant conversations. Yeah. Darren, question for you. What advice would you give? 25 year old version of yourself right now knowing what you know you can't use the relationships that you've built over the years what advice would you give 25 year old you bet first thing i would do is i'd write out uh your your goals that you want to achieve in your life i'd write them down on paper um and then what i would do is i build a life team first thing i do is build a life team what i mean by a life team is you build an inner circle so give me an example i used to hang out with four financially broke friends i was the fifth yeah I didn't know that. Show me your five so, friends. I'll, I'll tell you your future. You bet you. I had a mentor one time in a restaurant and said to me, I couldn't afford to pay the lunch. I was there one time at a pantry restaurant. And a guy sat down with me one time and uh, he says, I'm going to buy your lunch because you can't afford to be here. And, I, and I'm like, well, how do you know that? And, and I'm, I was like blown away, right? I'm just hiding, nice face, ego, image, all that stuff looking good, right? And, and he's like, I can see right through you, Darren. You're just full of a bunch of BS because I used to be just like you. I was in my 20s, right? I'm like, wow. How can these guys see right through me? Because I was wearing my mask, right? Protecting myself. And what I've learned over the years is build a life team. So what I mean by that is build an inner circle of people. So if you're not good with money, start hanging out with people who are really good at managing money. Because there's three things about money. Step number one is you can make or earn money. I live in a first world country. I live in a first world continent. It's pretty easy to make money here compared to the second, third world. So making money or earning money is step number one. Step number two is to how do you protect and how do you keep money? See, I meet a lot of people, 78% of the North American population live paycheck to paycheck. So we know that when money comes in their bank account from their employer, boom, they're, they're going out for dinner, they're paying their cell phone bill, putting gas in the tank, paying for Netflix, paying to render their mortgage, you know, going to some shows, going to some concerts. So the key thing is 
protect money. Always pay yourself first. So when you build your life team, always, so every time you get paid, take 10%, 10 cents on every dollar and put it away into a account where you can build up that principal over time and then put that money into income producing assets. Now people say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. That's where you go into discovery. Right? You go into an inquiry, like, what's Darren talking about? Well, I got to listen to this interview a few times. I got to take some notes, make sense of this. What he's talking about right now, I don't know how to do. So I got to go to people, maybe share this interview with other people who are more successful than me so I can get feedback as part of my life team and get coaching and mentoring. Whenever I'm watching, listening to podcasts or watching YouTube videos, I'm always taking notes in my journal. Right? What, what does that mean? I write it down, I Google it. I go to somebody, hey, can I ask you a question? I was listening to this podcast the other day and somebody said this about this. I don't know what that means. I'm trying to make sense of it. Can you, can you help me out with this? I need some help. I need to make sense of this. And I make a request, okay? So your life team. So financial, health-wise, who's really good with health, nutrition, relationships? So you start to build a life team of people because I ended up doing life by myself. And doing life by myself is very challenging and very hard. So going back to my younger self at 25, I'd say build a life team around you because this team will protect you and they'll keep you safe. And you can learn a lot by getting around a team of advisors of people who are older than you, have more experience, have more history, more experience. To you. It's a different experience because they're going to see things that you don't see. They're also going to see your blind spots. Okay. Um, last question. What do you think is going to be different in the world after COVID? When it ends because it will all end. What is going to be the takeaway, do you think? Great, great question. So I think with the reset right now with coronavirus, uh, people, especially in the first world, take for granted that like going to a grocery store or sports, because now it's canceled, you know, stadiums, concerts, church services, you know, things where you social gather, shopping centers, shopping malls, all that's been changed right now. It's all in pause. It's all been disruptive. And so I think what people are going to realize now is they're not going to take things for granted so much because there's no guarantee you and I are going to go to bed tomorrow night. See, most people live like, see, most people live in their head and most people are just an extra in their own movie. And so I think what's going to be different is it's going to be a new normal, but I think people are going to re reprioritize what's important to them in their lives and qualify their time and not waste so much time doing things that don't matter in their lives and not stressing and worrying about things that don't matter in their lives. Because people now, their lives have been disrupted where their routines and their habits, like going to a fitness center, going to a concert, going to a sporting event, going to a church service, you know, going to a grocery store, all these things have been disrupted now where we have to be virtual online. So we're going to see things that people used to take for granted now and, and also gratitude. I think people counting their blessings and being grateful. You know, people that would steal, well, you're just a frontline worker. You're just a minimum wage, minimum wage worker. Now they have more appreciation and respect for that person because they're, they're there on the front lines doing hard work when everybody else is self-isolated and being at home. So that's, that's, my, that's my thoughts on that. Jaren, that was, uh, we, ran, we, we ran out of time. We're gone 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Um, I'm grateful to be here. Everybody, where they can find you online. Yeah, you know, you can just go to uh, my website, darrenjacklin.com darrenjacklin.com and our link foundation is uh link it's l y 2 nk.com or if you go to darrenjacklinfoundation.com so just go if you go to these two websites darrenjacklin.com or darrenjacklinfoundation.com and you'll see all the information on the internet about me darren thank you so much bye-bye bye. that's the end of our podcast with darren jacklin please like subscribe and share for the next future podcast